which is not great. So, um, just want to encourage you. Josh was talking about discipleship, and um, one of my ongoing passions is helping people uh, follow Jesus and not only uh, become growing disciples of Jesus, but make disciples of Jesus that grow as well. Just like Jesus did, just like uh, Jesus calls each of us to do. So in January, uh, I'm going to have two groups that I will start. One early in the morning. Uh, there will be coffee supplied. Okay. Uh, early in the morning, 6 a.m. And, um, and one at 6.30 p.m., same day. So if you work during the day and you're like, you know, I, I can't get up that early or, or I am already at work at that time of day, early in the morning, uh, then you can come to the evening one. And if you um, are one of the people who uh, is crazy like me and is already awake and up and ready to function, um, at, uh, at 6 o'clock in the morning on Thursdays, then we'd love to see you in the morning. Um, and I will say this, it's a limited entry deal. Uh, I will take five people in the morning and five at night. And so um, that's about all I can handle, and that's about all the group dynamic we are working with about five people. So if you'd like to be one of those five people in the morning or five people in the evening, see me. Uh, because I would love to meet with you and, and work with you for about a year. That's the other thing I should tell you up front. About a year. So 2023, you'd be committing to every week or almost every week. You know, not vacation, not deer season. Um, but, um, but about every other week. Uh, I will be there with you and we'll work through some things and it'll be exciting. Now, we're looking together at Matthew's Gospel and his account of Jesus' birth and what it means for us. So if you have your Bible, I would invite you to turn with me over to Matthew chapter 1. And if you're able, to please stand in honor of God's Word and follow along as I read, beginning in verse 18 there of chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have condescended to come down 
that your Son was sent to this earth to become one of us in a way that, if we really think about it, is totally surprising. That the Son of God will be born to a peasant girl that we might be saved from all our sins. And Father, I pray that, that today as, as we look at this again and hear the old, old story one more time, that, Father, you would uh, remind us not only of its truthfulness, but that, that we rejoice in it, that, that we have everlasting reason to celebrate and rejoice because our sins are forgiven through the one who was born a child in the womb of Mary all those years ago. And Father, we pray as we look that we would be filled again with wonder. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, now some of you I know are looking at me right now a little bit puzzled because you're saying to yourself, Pastor, it's not Christmas yet. And you just read the Christmas story and Jesus is born. we got two weeks to go. What are you doing? Um, but today, I'll assure you, we've got more Christmas to come. Okay, uh, You'll still want to be here next week and the week after on Christmas Day. right? The day that we're actually leading up to. The day that all of this season leads to is that day. So you want to be here that day. I know you got family stuff and all that. But trust me. You want to be here to worship the Lord on the day that His Son was, was, came into the world. So, um, so we're, we're going to celebrate that in a couple of more weeks. But today we're going to look, and I want you to ponder with me the, the significance and the strangeness of this miracle. If you read the Old Testament and you see God's miracles there, uh, they seem both obvious and impressive. Amen. Like if you look at if you look at uh, if you look at Genesis, for example, you see the God who rescued Noah from a worldwide flood. It was not a, not something you could have missed. You were going to see the rain come, and you were going to see the animals go onto this boat, and you're going to see Noah and his little family and and a remnant of the world's animals on that boat, and everybody else destroyed. You can't miss it. You're either one of the people on the boat or one of the people who's not. God works in a powerful and obvious way. You see uh, that same God uh, confused languages at the Tower of Babel. You see Him call Abram from Ur and give Sarah a miracle boy when they are well past the age when babies are a thing. She's 90 years old. He's 100. And they're bouncing their newborn on their knee. Some of y'all are going, well, let's see. I'm only 87. Right? <laughs> I can probably still do this. No. Probably not. It's an obvious and powerful miracle that does that. God is the God who sent the plagues on Egypt who carried Israel through the Red Sea. Like one of the one of the things I love, I love to watch that movie, The Prince of Egypt. You all seen this? It's a cartoon, but it's really well done. And at that moment when Moses walks out and sticks his staff in the water 
and the water rolled back like a curtain. And they walked through on both sides. There's water on both sides, and you see a whale swim by by torchlight as they're crossing in the night. It's really well done. Now, that's just a movie, but that happened in reality. The people that God delivered. And then the same God caused His people to pass through protected, but He drowned the Egyptian army. In the same water, they passed through safely. Uh, He is the God who gave bread from heaven in the desert every morning for 40 years. He is the God who filled Samson with power to kill a lion, to haul off the gates of a city and carry them for 20 miles on his shoulders. Who who filled him with power to kill a thousand Philistines by himself with the jawbone of a donkey. And I don't know if you've played much Call of Duty lately, but that's pretty good, right? Uh, This is kind of an amazing deal. This God who does these kinds of things. Uh, He is the God who sent fire from heaven for Elijah. I've stood on that mountain, and it would be really cool to see fire come down. All there is now is a statue of Elijah. But you you can stand in the place. And see where it happened. Can you imagine what that would have been like? God is the God who shut off the rain for three and a half years to prove that He and not Baal is the true God in heaven. And there's many other miracles that I have not mentioned, of course, throughout your Old Testament. But but this miracle is unlike those. Because it kind of sneaks in. Almost unannounced. Look at, look at verse 18. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now let me explain that for us here just a little bit. She and Joseph are betrothed. Okay, we don't do betrothal now. We do engagement, right? There's usually a, there's usually a, a ring involved and all of that kind of thing. And if And presumably, if the girl breaks off the engagement, she gives the ring back. Right, but in 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 this culture, when you got betrothed, that was the beginning of usually about a year-long process of the man going home and preparing a home, literally building a home onto his father's house for the two of you to live in. And then when that was done, then he would go and claim his bride. And during that period, it was it was so significant that you. Only way you could break that relationship off is actually by getting legally a divorce. You were considered legally married, even if you were, if, if even though the ceremony hadn't been held, even though the the the, the marriage had not yet been consummated, uh, you were considered legally married. Somewhere during that period, though, of betrothal, it says that Mary was found to be with child. That is, that she starts showing. It starts becoming physically obvious that she is pregnant. Now, let me just tell you something. Mary and Joseph are from Nazareth. Okay? I've been to ancient Nazareth. I can tell you this. All of the ruins of ancient Nazareth would fit inside this building. 
They exist currently within the walls of a church today. And that church is smaller than this one. And they would all fit inside this building. So Nazareth is not a big community is what I'm saying. And and everybody can tell what's up. Mary is pregnant, obviously. Joseph knows that he is not the father. Uh, Matthew adds the detail that she is pregnant from the Holy Spirit, but Joseph does not know it yet. Now think about this. If you read Luke's account of this story, you understand that the angel shows up to tell Mary that she's about to become pregnant and that that happens before she does. And as soon as she learns this, she goes off for three months to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who is down in another village. Been to that one too. It's called Ein Karen, just outside of Jerusalem, close to the ancient city of Ramah. And, and you can go there and see that. It's a long way from Nazareth. Take you several days to get there. And then so so Mary has left. She's been gone for three months. She comes back showing. If you're Joseph, what are you thinking right now? Hmm. On top of that, notice this. God has waited all of this time to tell Joseph what's up. How about that? Mary's known for all this time. Joseph has no clue. You think it might be time to inform the man who's going to raise God's incarnate son? It's, it's as if, in other words, that God is determined to arrive in our world in the quietest way possible. Has to let mom know. Doesn't let the guy who's going to be Jesus' earthly father know until it's obvious that mom is pregnant. Mary realizes when when Joseph realizes Mary is pregnant. Verse nineteen says he decides to divorce her quietly. He's a good dude. He has no desire to shame the woman that he loves, but he's also a man with no desire to be married to a woman who appears not to love him exclusively. No angel shows up for him personally and visibly in the same way that did for Mary, but an angel does appear to him in a dream that night to instruct him to take Mary as his wife and to inform him that the baby has not been conceived in sin but conceived in Mary by the Holy Spirit. Now ponder this with me. Doesn't this sequence of events seem strange and amazing and wonderful all at once? Because God the Son is becoming incarnate. He is taking on, in other words, a fully human nature while remaining fully God, fully equal with the Father. But he's doing so not in a palace born to a princess, but in a hamlet born to a peasant. And there's no royal proclamation to the whole wide world. 
you know, here in America, we, we haven't had a royal family since 1776. Praise God, right? But, but nevertheless, whenever one of those people has a child, what gets splashed all over the, the newspapers and news magazines and, you know, cable news channels and so forth? Oh, Princess Kate and Will have a name. Everybody's excited, right? It's like a big rollout announcement. And then we get treated to pregnancy photos and all this, right? Oh, look what's happening. The fixed head, not yet king and queen of England, are having a child, right? This is the God of the universe who is coming into the world. And he comes not in a palace to a princess, but to a peasant in a hut. And he doesn't even tell the person he is trusting to raise the kid until three or four months after mom is born. Isn't that crazy? He doesn't. He doesn't reveal himself in all of his glory. Because to do that would result merely in compelled belief. You know, I believe that the sun exists. Right? So do you. Why? I haven't seen it this week. But it is there and it does warm the earth. Right? I have seen it before. I know that it's there. And, and, and so you have to acknowledge the existence of the sun, at least in the summer in Illinois. But, but you have to acknowledge that it's there. And in the same way, if God were to break into human history with a giant announcement and, a, and the radiance of His divine glory coming down, what would you have to do? You would have to believe that this is the Son of God. That's not what happens. Because God in His grace does not want to compel people to believe. He wants to lead people to believe. Belief in the reality that this is in fact the Son of God even though He is in a sense sneaking His way in to human history. And so even Joseph, Joseph has to receive Jesus just like you and I, by faith. And so we come like him to believe the improbable truth that God's son is being born to a peasant girl. And we must not miss the rest of the story, which tells us the reason why heart of this whole section of Scripture is what the angel tells Joseph next. Look at your Bible. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. That which is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. Joseph didn't know that. How's that for a gender reveal? You get an angelic announcement. No glitter bombs, no balloons. Uh, you get an angelic announcement. 
you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That is the significant part of this. Jesus is is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. Both of those names mean the same thing. Yahweh saves. If you read your Old Testament, uh, you'll read about a guy who delivered his people from wandering in the desert, led them across the Jordan on dry ground into Canaan. They took the land. But this Joshua, this greater example of Yahweh's saving power, leads out of the desolation of sin itself and into the true promised land of which Canaan was just a shadow and a pale reflection. And don't miss this. He will save His people from their sins. Now, if you're an English major, you know that there's two ways you can understand that that possessive pronoun, His, that's right there. Some of you all are like, what's a possessive pronoun? It, it means... Belonging that the word his is belonging to him. Okay? So you can either understand it when it says his people as the people to whom he belongs. That's probably how Joseph, as a Jewish person, would have heard it. He's thinking, oh, this is the one. This is the promised Messiah. This is the one who's going to save Israel. The people to whom he belongs. But what we understand as we continue reading the Bible is that that we're actually to understand it the other way. As the people who belong to Him. He's going to save the people who belong to Him. It's much, much bigger. It includes Jews, but it also includes people from all nations, from all tribes, from all languages. The people whom God has made His. It includes every one of us here today who has believed in Him. He came to be born of Mary and given the name Jesus because He came to save all who belong to Him from sin and from its penalty and from its consequences on both us and on the world. And as you keep looking at the text, you'll see Matthew's comment to the effect that this is not some random event. In the same way that Jesus is the truer and better and deeper version of Joshua, He is also the truer and better and deeper fulfillment of the prophecies that Isaiah made in His day. If you read Isaiah chapter 7, the passage that that Matthew is referencing here, you'll understand that it is fulfilled in Isaiah's day in chapter 8. Because Isaiah is talking about a boy that he and his wife are about to have. He's identifying the woman he's about to marry. They're going to have a son who has the longest name in the Bible. If you ever need to answer this Bible trivia question, his name is Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Okay? Don't name your kid that. Um, because it means quick to the slaughter, quick to the plunder. Okay? Don't, don't name your kid that. Um, but... That child is born in the next chapter. And the prophecy is about, look, this child is going to be born to Isaiah and his wife. 
And before that child grows up to be 13 years old, God is going to deliver the nation of Judah from all of its enemies. And that happens. And so Matthew is, is quoting that to indicate that, look, it was going to be that was that happened in Isaiah's day, 800 years prior, to indicate to the people of Israel that God is with you. That God is with you. That He hasn't abandoned you. That He's going to deliver you. And it's all going to happen within the next 13 years. But Matthew says, look, you understand who Jesus really is. You understand it's not just that God is with you in a spiritual sense. That God is actually showing up in a way that's visible, tangible, touchable. God Himself will actually be here with us as one of us. And so Jesus is the greater and better fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. He is the one who is with us to deliver all of His people from all nations from sin and death and hell. And He is personally and visibly becoming incarnate in this little peasant girl raised by her confused husband who had to believe just like you and I exactly what God is doing. And so the text is telling us some really important things. One of the most obvious is that Joseph is among the first people to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. He's among the very first people. Lots of people believed in Jesus in one sense in the Old Testament in that they knew that God had promised the Messiah would come and they knew that salvation came only through faith in the one that God had promised. But they did not know exactly when he would come or who he would be or what his name was. And so when all of that is fulfilled, Joseph believes. He learns the name of this child here some three to four months after Mary had been informed. And Joseph responded just like Mary did. He believed God's word to him and he put his trust in the child to be born through his wife as the Savior of the world. You may be going, Pastor, how do you know that? Because of what the text says that he then did. If you look at the story, you'll see it. He did not give in to his fears, which, let's be honest, if you, if you're, if the woman that you were engaged to showed up pregnant and you know you are not the child's father, what will your fears be? He doesn't give in to those fears. Instead, he believes God's Word. And he takes her as his wife, just like the angel told him. He decided that even though it was likely that no one would believe what he and, he and Mary had come to understand about the origin of her pregnancy, and he decided he would rather believe God's Word and bear the whispers and the shame and the scorn of an unbelieving world than reject what God has said. And so he took Mary as his wife. 
And then he waited, the text says, until after the child was born and the days of her purification were completed to consummate his union with his wife. He believed God's Word and he stood on it even though everything that he had he had coming his way was visible to him. He knew what people would think. He knew that Marrying a woman who was pregnant with someone else's child was likely to get him shamed and scorned and mocked in his little community. In fact, if you read later on in the gospel, isn't this Mary's kid? There's an implication. Isn't this, isn't this the son of the carpenter? In other words, the son that happened before the wedding? That's what people thought. Joseph knew that. He, he knew that he was going to have for the rest of his life in that little town that they lived in lots of shame, Lots of whispering, lots of gossip. He believed God's word. And he obeyed it. And on top of that, he obeyed it, as we'll see next week, even though it carried with it very real threats on his life and the life of that time. Why did he do that? Well, if you want to give theological, you could say, well, because God was calling Joseph to himself into a life of faith. But humanly speaking, because Joseph knew, because he believed God's word, that Jesus is in fact the one born to save all of his people, including Joseph himself. And he acted, therefore, on that conviction come what may. He said, well, if Jesus is who, who the angel says he is, then I'm going to believe God and I'm going to put my trust in that child as the Messiah. And whatever comes, whatever comes. Because my conviction in God's Word and in who God says this child is, is firm. And I think in that there's an example for us to follow. Because we too have been told the truth about Jesus from God's own word to us. It came to us, not from an angel, but by the Holy Spirit through the apostle who wrote it down that we might respond like Joseph did and put our faith in the one who came into the world to save his people from their sins. And having believed God's word about Jesus, we, like Joseph, are deciding that we're going to bear the consequences of that belief come what may. Because we know that Jesus is our Savior. And because we believe that no consequence that society can bring on us is worth turning away and rejecting Him who loves us and came to save us. Because the reality is, men and women, whether you know it or not, in the world we live in today, you're in the same position as Joseph. You are... 
we are living in a world that is no more likely than the one Joseph inhabited to believe the story about God coming into the world as a peasant-born child of a virgin. Joseph's neighbors didn't believe that, I'll assure you. Most of the world around you doesn't believe that, I'll assure you, even though everybody likes Christmas as a holiday. But that is the truth. And believing in that truth, what that, that truth that Jesus has told us about Jesus will more than likely. If it hasn't happened to you yet, buckle up, your day's coming. It will more than likely lead to shame and mockery and derision from unbelieving people who refuse to believe what God has said is true. That God's Son is born of Mary to save the world from sin and death. So we face the same challenge from a doubting world, the same challenge from doubting neighbors, the same challenge from skeptical family members. You don't really believe that crazy story, do you? In fact, I've staked my eternity on it. We believe that this child, this Jesus, is who the angel says he is, that he is the newborn king, the God who is with us in the flesh, the Savior of all of us from all of our sins, and we then persist in that belief despite whatever challenges that belief may bring and probably will Brain crashing down around our ears. Amen? If it means I lose my job because of my faith in Jesus, I lose my job. If it means I lose the respect of my neighbors and my fr friends and my family, or even if some of them cut me out of their life because they don't want to be associated with someone who believes something so crazy that God himself became incarnate in the womb of a peasant girl. That is nuts. I can't believe you believe that. I can't believe you think that a guy who lived 2,000 years ago has some impact on your life today. Are you crazy? Yes. I am. Crazy in exactly the same way as God, who did that very thing to save me from sin and death and hell, and to take me all the way home to Himself one day. And if you were sane, you would do the same thing and believe in Jesus. Because the reason why Christmas is particularly joyful for those of us who know Jesus isn't the present. And I'll be honest, I like presents. It's my love language. You can ask Karen. Okay? I like gifts. Uh, I like chocolate. I like I like Cabela's. I like all kinds of stuff, right? Um, I, you know, you don't have, you know, a 99 cent plant from Walmart makes me really happy. Um, I like presents, right? But that's not what Christmas is about. 
It isn't about presents. It's not about spice cider. It's not about chocolate in your stocking or fires in the fireplace or family around the table, although all of those are good things. It's about the joy that comes from knowing that Jesus Christ is the best of all possible gifts. And that He has come into the world given for us to take away our sins. And all of the penalties that attach to our sins are also taken away from us. And so nothing in this life, not one thing, holds any fear for us anymore. Our eternal future is secure. Amen? When you meet God at your death, talk about two terrifying things in one sentence for most people. I'm going to die. After that, I'm going to stand before God. You know what it's like for a believer? Well, first, it's not very much like dying at all. It's like all of a sudden starting to live for the very first time. And number two, when you meet God, it's like going home to see your dad who has loved you before you were born and being welcomed home to the place where you were always meant to live. And we will start to live for the first time ever. Old Winston Churchill, when he died, was great. He said, it, when, when they buried him, he had them play taps. Right? Down the sun, day is done. And then it got he said, and then I want it really quiet for a second. And then he had the trumpeter play Reveille. You gotta get up. You gotta get up. You gotta get up. It's morning. Right? Now, I don't believe everything that Winston believed, but he did believe in Jesus. He knew that's what had happened to him. That the day ended and then morning began. And that it would always be for And why is that? Because God's Son was born of Mary to take away the sins of all of the people in the world. Amen? And so come what may, we rejoice. Though all the world derision and shame and mockery and even persecution come our way, Bring it on. Because Jesus came to save me. And take away my sin. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we rejoice. We rejoice in the news that Jesus Christ is born. And we long to go and tell it on the mountain as we 
as we sang, over the hills and everywhere, that Jesus Christ is born, the Savior, Yahweh saves, God with us has come into the world for us because you love us so intensely and you would not see us condemned to hell. Though we richly deserve it, you said, I will not allow these people to go into the hell they deserve without a fight. I will send my son to be one of them, to live a life like one of them, to die on a cross for all of them, that all of them who put their trust in me would be redeemed and go home with me. Father, these things are amazing. We celebrate them, we rejoice in them, and we stand with confidence before a mocking world saying, I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds foolish. But it's the only sane and smart thing in all the world to believe in Jesus Christ, born of Mary, who came to take away sin. And Father, we praise you and we rejoice in your Son's name. We pray in it. Amen.